it is very hard for me to trust people and I'm not a person with trust issues and that like I think people are gonna like hurt me or take things from me when I say trust I generally come from a place of not believing that people have the capacity to really like understand me on an emotional spiritual intellectual level um, so when I thought about just having to process through you know blackness and what it meant to be black in my mind there is no one who could who hadn't like walked the path that could really understand the way I understood it you know because there's like the academic approach of you know I'm, I'm culturally competent I understand but then there's also the like girl I get it approach that was my guest on today's show, Kira Amani Williams. She is multi-talented, as you will see, and author of the forthcoming book, Therapy Isn't Just for White People. Uh, stay tuned for part one of our discussion about therapy and a lot of the endeavors she's involved in. into relationships and you hosted by toby jenkins a licensed marriage and family therapist serving central kentucky each week toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health relationships or self-improvement the name of the show paradigm comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client an epiphany sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. You are listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today my guest is Kiera Imani-Williams, she is the author of a book that's coming out next spring entitled Therapy Just Isn't for White People. Now, as you know, one of the platforms of this show is to normalize therapy and mental health for people of color. And so um, we're going to talk about the book, but, you know, there's a lot more that, that Kiera has, uh, has done. So uh, Kiera is also the host of a good podcast called Sworn Testimonies, The Truth and Nothing But the Truth. She's an attorney, writer, speaker, and co-founder of the Auditory Museum. It's a company that specializes in communication and storytelling. She's a graduate of the University of Virginia School of Law and received her bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia with a major in political science, specifically focused on, on politics in the media. So um, I'm sure we'll talk about that too, because um, there is a ton of that as we, you know, in the cycle we live in and going into an elections, uh, election year. In 2009, January 2019, uh, Kiara was featured in Forbes, Forbes magazine, where she shared tips to women navigate, navigating successfully through career and business. In May of 2019, she was featured in Oprah magazine as one of the creators of Beyonce's hashtag Before I Let Go Challenge. And in March of 2019, she had the opportunity to speak at South uh, South by Southwest about the importance of protecting your brand. So Kiera is an accomplished speaker and has spoken at over 100 institutions and organizations, including TEDx Open Mic, the Boys and Girls Club, and the American Conference Institute. 
Wow. Um, that is quite an eclectic array of things you are doing, and that is amazing. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, man, I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with the book. So um, the book is entitled Therapy Isn't Just for White People. So um, where did this idea come from? And what um, now the title is kind of self-explanatory, but um, like what's this book going to be about in more detail? Yeah, it's funny that you say eclectic because I feel like most of what I do is centered around language and using language. Um, mm -hmm. All the legal stuff, all the speaking, all the writing, it's just very much using words in different capacities. So it sounds kind of like it's all over the place, but it all um, comes together and makes sense <laughs> for me. Uh, cool. So the name of the book, Therapy Isn't Just for White People, the full name, uh, Processing Through Racial Trauma in a Very White World. And it's this idea that, you know, first of all, in the black communities for a very long time, therapy has been very like taboo. Um, it's not something that you're supposed to do. Um, and there are, you know, a plethora, plethora of reasons for that. Obviously coming out of slavery, um, black people in America specifically, we had a very like, we can handle anything, we can get through it mentality because we had to. Um, and, you know, a wise, person once told me just because you have to handle something or you can't just because you can handle something doesn't mean you have to. Um, and so a lot of us carry around a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, um, and a lot of trauma that we're just unaware of. Um, and what we think about as trauma is actually very far from what trauma is. Most of us mm -hmm. think about, you know, trauma being some huge big thing that happened, you know, something like you maybe, you know, getting a divorce or having a father leave you and all of those things are very traumatic. Uh, but trauma, I've heard um, Dr. Anita Phillips, who I love, she defines trauma as an event or an occurrence or anything that shapes the way we think about or see ourselves, each other, God and the world around us. Uh, so for a lot of black people, there are lots of little traumas that are happening every day, you know, like lots of microaggressions, um, lots of like racial based stereotyping and over time although it's not one big trauma those things can actually affect us um, in in very significant ways they affect our health they affect our stress levels i was reading about how black women have higher cortisol levels uh, which indicate stress than like any other group a lot of times and just being unaware of the fact that we're dealing with trauma we don't even know to kind of like process through these things um, so for me, you know, therapy was extremely helpful in processing through my own traumas, the little traumas that were like kind of adding up um, and just helping me kind of better understand my story, how race played into a lot of the way that I saw myself and the way that I, um, you know, interacted with other people. So the idea is it's kind of like a narrative piece, kind of going through my own story and okay. just showing how, you know, race really impacted me in ways that I wasn't aware. And I hope that people will read it and think, wow, me too. Or, wow, I had that experience. I feel like I'm giving a voice to a lot of experiences that people have and they don't necessarily know how to talk about. Um, and then it's also great, I think, for non-Black people to just kind of read the book and figure out or get a better idea of what it's like to actually be Black in America, like a regular day-to-day -day, non-famous person uh, going through and moving through the world because I think this idea is that you know a lot of people are like yeah racism is real I guess but it doesn't happen to most people it's just this kind of like random thing that people might you know have occur 
and that's just so far from the truth. Uh, yeah, uh, very, yeah, very well stated. Um, and so, you know, the, one of the reasons I got into this line of work is to uh, normalize and lower the barriers into therapy. So with your own personal journey through therapy, um, how did you navigate those barriers and taboos personally? Yeah, so growing up, my mom always had anxiety. Um, I think she tried therapy like once and I knew that she had tried it, uh, but it wasn't something she did frequently, but she took anxiety medication. And as a kid, I was just kind of like, oh, you're crazy. So you take your crazy meds. I just saw it that way. Like I didn't really know any other black people or people of color like taking any type of medication. There was like this um, stereotypical idea of like the overworked house mom who would like, you know, overuse pills or whatever. Crazy uh, so meds. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I literally, as a child, like, I, I thought they were her crazy meds. Yeah. Um, and no, I just, and I just didn't know or see a lot of other black people doing things like going to therapy or taking medication. Um, but, you know, as I got older, there were a lot of ways that man anxiety was manif manifesting in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a white friend tell me like, oh, like you should try therapy. It changed my life and da, 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 all the things. Um, and it's very interesting. I feel like in a lot of the white communities, I'm out in LA now, uh, but it's not taboo to have therapy. It's like very cool. Like people like compare notes about like what their therapist said and, yes. you know, send each other recommendations. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like, listen, you guys probably need this therapy thing, but I'm actually very self-aware. Like I have Jesus. I pray. I don't need all that therapy. Uh, too stressed to be, too to, blessed to be stressed. Too blessed to be stressed. Hashtag <laughs> black communities. Um, but it really got to the point where I felt like I wasn't managing it well. Um, and so, you know, just having, you know, a friend like influence me to try, I'm kind of like a, for better or for worse, let's just try it and see what happens person. Um, so I was like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You know, worst case scenario, I'm out a little bit of money. Uh, mm -hmm. best case scenario, this therapy actually thing actually works. Um, yeah. and my experience was just so transformative, not just because of the sessions and the therapy itself. Uh, but even just the realization that someone like me who was this educated and accomplished and, you know, had all these things going for her on the outside, um, didn't have it all together. Like I actually had to realize like, wow, like I'm a human. There are parts of me that are not whole or are not healthy. Um, and I, there are people that can actually help walk me through this. Um, so right. like a light bulb kind of went off for me. So did you have to uh, try more than one therapist? Um, starting out? I, one, I used one therapist. I'm like an incredibly skilled internet stalker. Um, so it took me a while <laughs> to find her. Uh, and I, think I, I saw a statistic recently that said like less of or less than 4% of like uh, psychologists uh, or professionals in that space are African-American, uh, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. So I actually had a hard time finding her. It was a lot harder than I thought. Uh, but I wanted somebody who I felt like could understand me. And, you know, I know that it's, you know, cultural competency is necessary. You don't have to be like the same color, same gender, all of that. Um, but I was like, I'm probably going to want to process black stuff. I'm probably going to want to process faith, probably going to want to process what it's like to be a woman. So I don't want someone who's just studied those things. I want someone who's experienced them. Mm -hmm. um, so finding a black Christian woman was like hard enough to do. And I found her and she was awesome, uh, but she was Great. young. I was young. So it, I kind of felt like we could be friends, but the first couple sessions, I still felt like I was like feeling her out. Like, 
do you, are you really about to read me back to me? Like, can I really trust you? Like it took me a little bit to build trust. Um, but you know, as we like moved through the sessions, I was like, wow, this is working. That's awesome. You know, um, uh, a lot of therapy is about the relationship and the fit. And, um, I, uh, you're right. There are not a lot of black mental health specialists. And so I get a lot of, now the flip side of that is that I get a lot of clients who don't do their homework on me and just check the box because I'm black. And mm -hmm. so I tell these clients, you need to, you need to do your homework on me and that this fit may or may not work. And so usually I coach like in the, in the intake in the beginning, I say, you know, let, at least give it two to three sessions before you switch. But I also recognize <laughs> that um, the same people that are coming in, I've said this a couple of times, I know people are coming in and they're trashing their former therapist they might've tried once or twice. Meanwhile, somewhere else across town, someone's saying the same thing <laughs> about me. That Toby Jenkins, gosh, he was horrible. He didn't listen to me. I just didn't feel like he was getting me. They were just not a good fit. And so, you know, it's very like, some people you're just going to click with quickly in a, in a helping space like that. But if you don't, um, you know, give it a couple sessions at least, at least. So, uh, yeah, it's very, yeah. And don't give up on the process. Well, we're up against our first commercial break. Um, we're talking about therapy for people of color. My guest today is Kiera Imani Williams. She's the author of Therapy Just Isn't for White People and the host of Sworn Testimonies. We'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com or by calling 859-806-0093. Uh, we are back. You are listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and in You. Uh, my guest today is Kiera Imani Williams, and we're talking about uh, her book, Therapy Isn't Just for White People. And the many barriers that people of color face in terms of getting mental health. And so, you know, historically, uh, black and brown communities have relied on their church or community for kind of mental health support. And it, it reminds me, I was thinking about a story my dad told me about his father. Uh, my father grew up uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, and he remembers going with his dad to essentially like a voodoo doctor. And it was like once a week or once every other week. And what my dad told me, he remembers they go to this house. His dad would go into this house. This woman would do various things. And um, that was my grandfather's fix. And he went to go see this woman every couple of weeks to get, you know, keep his mind right, so to speak. And so with that, um, you know, that there, there have always been, um, uh, there have only been helpers and people you could go to in the community, um, primarily the church. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later too. Um, 
my perspective, the church is hit or miss depending on training and training is very important. But um, then historically, um, early on, mental health had much more of a medical model, maybe in the 40s and 50s, where you went to someone and they told you what was wrong with you, or they were Freudian and analyzed your behavior, both what you were saying and what you weren't saying, and diagnosed you with something. Um, but the formation of, or the foundation of that was kind of a white middle class standard. And so oftentimes the uh, experiences of other people were not incorporated in these diagnoses or understanding um, their situation or their mental health or how to help them. So over time, that has also created a stigma about going to get help because like you said earlier, without even prompted, if I go to see a therapist, that means I'm crazy. And so, and I get that a lot still, um, especially with my, my clients that are, are black. They say, you know, I'm not crazy. <laughs> and so that reassurance is, uh, is very necessary to, to help people understand, no, you're not, you're not crazy. Um, mental health is very, very important. So, um, so you found a therapist of color and had a preference for a therapist of color. Um, and so given the you know, the percentage wise, you had a pretty low shot. Um, how open were you to exploring a therapist of another background uh, if you couldn't find a black ther- black Christian therapist on top of that? Yeah, if I'm honest, I wasn't open. Um, I <laughs> went through a ton of profiles online trying to find somebody that was going to be a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just could not get past the idea of sitting and spilling my life out vulnerably uh, to someone who I didn't feel like understood. And I think, you know, with therapy, but just in communication in, in general, humans have a big fear of being like misunderstood. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to understand where I'm coming from. I think it's what, you know, causes a lot of arguments or when people get defensive and they're like, no, no, you're not hearing me. Um, and I really didn't want to have to worry about that. Like I didn't want to have to like focus on not being misunderstood or worrying like, oh, do I have to provide cult, like context to this cultural reference or I'm talking about my hair, I'm talking about whatever, do I need to under, do I need to explain to them what that's like in the black community or did I just want someone to be like, I get it, you know, I've been around the block, I understand, I see you, me too. Um, so it was really important for me, granted, I know that, you know, cultural competency is probably more important. Like there are black people I could have talked to uh, that had no reference for some of the things I wanted to discuss. And I'm sure there are white people that exist that could have some level of understanding. Uh, But I just wanted someone who like got it on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, um, I I do encourage uh, friends of mine, if they're in a place where it's hard to find a person of color, I, I encourage uh, my friends, people I know that, that are looking for therapists to look for therapists of other cultures. Um, and it, it is a big barrier to overcome, um, which is, um, and it depends on where you are. And, you know, one of the benefits of kind of this post COVID world we're operating in is that um, with telehealth being more readily available, um, you have a wider, wider net to cast to find a therapist yeah. that uh, that works for you. Um, and just in the last couple of months, I've had people from 
outside of the normal area, um, seek me out for, uh, for therapy. Um, we, you mentioned, um, we talked about the church. Um, so you mentioned that your therapist was a Christian therapist or a therapist that's a Christian. Which one was it? There's a, a difference. She was a therapist who is a Christian um, to the extent that I wanted to talk about faith or process through faith. Um, we did that, but if I didn't want to, we didn't. It wasn't like a biblically Christian-based like therapy session. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that you go in and out of and you're pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, I, it's yeah. really funny, actually. Um, I was learning recently about the Zulu tribe in South Africa. I read uh, Trevor Noah's book and just had Mm. me really curious about just other cultures. Uh, But there is, can't remember what they're called, but there is a, there's a role because a lot of, you know, in the tribe people play different roles. There's a specific type of healer in the Zulu tribe. One healer dealt more with like plants and herbs and medicines and the other healer they described as like a spiritual and psychological healer. Um, So even the fact that, you know, in a lot of African traditions, like spirituality and like psychology were very like intermixed, you know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like one in the same, like not really a separation. Um, And so I was kind of looking for that, not like this is a faith based thing and a little bit of therapy, you know, like I wanted it to be like, this is psychological hearing where you are healing, where you can incorporate faith freely as you so desire. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of um, a lot of native or a lot of uh, civilizations had those people in their community. Um, I know it was present in the Native Americans um, that were here. Um, they were they were uh, three spirit, and if you combine uh, the sexuality, because it was thought that these people with this kind of uh, uh, blended sexuality had more um were more spiritually enlightened so they served in that kind of a role too and it's kind of interesting that um throughout time there's always that role um whether it be tribal communities or a lot of the civilizations that existed before and so you know we talked a little bit about you know your 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 therapist is a christian um did you consider doing christian therapy You know, I did, uh, but I think just with my experience, and again, I really wanted like an integrated, a a fully integrated approach. And I think a lot of times working with or speaking to other mentors or whoever else, mind you, in the Christian faith in the church, like pastoral people or people that are, you know, providing therapy through the church. Sometimes I think because their goal is to like save souls, which is a great goal, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're very quick to like, point to the word instead of like, listen to the issue, you know, like, yes. And I know that that verse exists, but I want to talk about the issue and I don't want you to convince me that like God has me and God has it covered. I know those things in my head, but like, I'm, Mm -hmm. I don't want to process that in the moment. Um, And I think that sometimes can feel even more frustrating because you walk away feeling like, am I a bad Christian? Like, should I just be like, God is good. (laughs) And then like all these things should like disappear. Um, So I think sometimes with that stuff, I end up feeling more guilty than like actually having like worked through the issue. Um, So I think my therapist did a really great job of, you know, actually listening and like talking through the issues with me in a very like 
not judgmental, trying to throw Jesus mm -hmm. in my face type way, but yes. then would ask, you know, like, you know, let's look at this through the lens of faith. How do you feel about this, et cetera? That's wonderful. You know, I, I, I caution people uh, when they're looking for mental health specialists, whether they are religious or not, to do their homework on what their credentials and training um, is. And um, kind of, I agree with exactly what you said, that um, if just because they're clergy doesn't mean they're trained for mental health, and they can often do more damage than good. Just like you said, if it becomes, um, well, your faith isn't strong enough or pray harder while those are, you know, the intent is good, but it's just like what you said, you end up walking away feeling like, well, it's not working for me or um, maybe I'm not praying enough or maybe God has turned his back on me. And so, um, but if you can get a good blend of both, um, it's really good. But, you know, I emphasize again, do your homework and make sure they've been, because there are a lot of good um, religious institutions that do mental health training, um, but not all <laughs> go and get the certifications and the training to do it. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had people in my office who've had horrible, horrible experiences with someone who's not trained um, from the church. Um, and um, it, it's, um, yeah, it can be pretty damaging. Um, well, we're up against, uh, actually, we're up against one minute insight. Uh, today, my guest is Kiera, Kiera Amani uh, Williams, and we're talking about her book, which is coming out next spring. Therapy isn't just for white people. And um, we'll be right back. Insights into Relationships in You, and this is Women at Insight. You know, a few weeks ago, I was talking to my cousin who's an avid cyclist. He rides maybe 100 miles a week, and he had an opportunity to go on a group ride with, with a rider who was sponsored like a pro. And so he wanted to pick his brain, and so when they stopped, he, had, he said, you know, I ride about 100 miles a week. How many miles a week do you ride? And the pro cyclist responded, well, I don't really measure the miles I ride, I'm, I measure the climb. And I try to climb 4,500 feet a week. And my cousin's mind was blown because it's an entirely different measurement he'd never thought about. So as it applies to your relationships, are you measuring the right thing? Are you measuring the positive interactions or are you only focusing on the negative interactions? In the way that you think about yourself, are you thinking about the times you failed or the times that you succeeded? So measuring the right thing can make all the difference in the world. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, it can provoke serious anxiety and depression, and many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA-FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter 
at the Darius Norman Show. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Today, my guest is Kira Amani Williams, and we're talking about her upcoming book, Therapy Just Isn't for White People. Um, you know, there are multiple barriers um, to walk into a professional's office of therapist, psychologist, uh, social work counselor. And so I often get, especially with people, this is their first experience, and they're really reluctant to come in and talk to me in the first place. And they have these expectations of what this experience is going to be like. So my go, I mean, I tell first time clients, we're just having a conversation. So what was it like for you uh, starting this process, like in the room itself? What was that like? Yeah, um, it was interesting. Like, I think I'm a very analytical person and I'm honest like a lot of what I knew about therapy had just like been from television so I like remember walking into the room and being like okay there's a couch I know I'm supposed to sit on the couch and you'll sit yep. there and you'll write things down and like nod your head and I'll talk and you'll ask me questions like I had that idea just because that's what I've seen on television right. I wasn't sure if I was gonna, like lay on the couch like do I lay or do I like sit here um I remember being like kind of cold and she had like a blanket in the office and I was like, can I use that? I'm cold. And she was like, yeah. Um, so I like kind of like bundled up on the couch and just sat like I was hanging out with one of my girlfriends. So it just nice. felt like very, I made myself very at home. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm going to be comfortable. Like I'm paying for this session. I'm going to make myself at home. What do I need to feel comfortable? That's right. Um, You're paying for it. <laughs> yeah. And so like she had like really great, like, uh, like aromatherapy stuff. I think she mm. had a lavender um, that was like really nice and like two candles up and stuff. So it just felt like homey, like I was hanging out with yeah. a friend. Um, I didn't like it at first. And I, I don't know that I'm like other people where it was because I was afraid because I didn't really have fear. Maybe a little bit of like, I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown. She calls it out like FFTs or like effing first times. Like that. I like, love Brene Brown. I, yeah, I have, she's, like, I have a quick friend. story to tell you. Um, I turned my wife on to Brene Brown. She'd never heard of Brene Brown. And then like the, a week later, she was at this conference and guess who the keynote speaker was? Brene okay. Brown. So she goes up on stage and takes a picture with Brene Brown and sends it to me. I was pissed. I was like, you, I've been telling you about Brene Brown forever. And then the next week you get to meet her. It's just not fair. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and her work. Sometimes life gets as compared. It's just how it works, you know? I know. Um, Uh, But yeah, it was a first time. So I definitely had like my first time, like, what the heck is going on moment. Um, But I wasn't afraid necessarily, if anything. And I think a lot of this for me has been, I'll say it's a mixture of like ego and wisdom, right? mm -hmm. Like, I, I think it can be very foolish to trust people with all of you without like building trust with the person first uh, sure. because you know they could use whatever you're sharing to like hurt you harm you they might not carry it well they might not respond well my aunt used to always tell me when I was longer younger like you don't have to talk to anybody they don't know you you don't have to trust people with you <laughs> like you don't it's a big deal to like share yourself with someone and so you don't have to do that so yes. I think I've always been kind of like very wise in that regard uh, but I say it was mixed with some ego because it, I also had the idea like who 
knows me better than me? Like, how is this random person that yeah. has not like, grown up with me and like sat with my story and my experience every day going to tell me something about myself that I mm. don't already know? Um, and I remember like our, my first session sitting with my therapist, her name was Alex. And I was like, listen, I know a lot of other people probably come in here because they're like lost and broken, but like, I'm not those things. Like I come from a nuclear family, had a great childhood. Like we don't need to talk about my past at all because it in no way is affecting who I am today. Like Mm. I'm just like dealing with some anxiety and trying to figure out some things about life. So I just want to talk about that. Like we don't need to talk about the past. And I really, like, I thought that, like, that was the right way. And she didn't tell me I was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, she did ask me some questions about childhood. But I remember, like, a couple sessions down the road, she's like, you know, you mentioned, like, coming from a great family. And you mentioned all this stuff about you don't need to talk about your past. And, you know, I asked you about your mom. You're like, nope, no issues. Dad, nope, no issues. You know, you just deny that you have any family issues. But it's great. Uh, But a lot of what you're talking about in relationship sounds like you felt like you were supposed to be married at an early age. Do you think the fact Mm. that your parents were married at an early age, like affected your worldview in that capacity? And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) I think that's where I started learning that like trauma isn't always like a bad thing. Like a little trauma could just be something that changes the way that you see the world. And my parents have a very healthy relationship. So Mm -hmm. I thought, if they have, there's no way that a relationship can affect you who is healthy. Like I saw healthy love. So how could I be affected by that? But then there's all this other stuff, like mm-hmm. maybe pressure to have a relationship that's like just as good or to make it look the same or, you know, all these other things that like come from that. Um, so she really helped me like just see my past differently. Um, Cause yeah. no one wants to like, you know, my, my mom was problematic or my dad was problematic. Some people actually had that experience. But if you feel like you had like loving, kind parents, it feels almost like a betrayal um, to be like something that you did affected me. And it's sometimes it's not their fault, you know? No, not at all. You know, you, you have a good therapist and, you know, one of the, the value of having the value of having this third person outside of your norm uh, is because they see it with fresh eyes. Um, and you've been looking at the same thing all your life. And this other person sees it very differently. Um, you know, that, that reminds me of, um, you know, my parents have been married over 50 something years and I don't have any memories of seeing them argue or fight. Um, mm. And so talking about, you know, this is, a, this is something I tell a lot of my clients. And when I got married, my wife grew up with parents who ran a, run a business together. And so there was always back and forth conflict and, re- and resolving conflict. And so when we got married, we had two different models of how this looked. And the first time I got confronted, well, actually not the first time, but the first couple of times I, I freaked out. I was like, um, uh, married people don't argue. Um, Cause my parents yeah. went behind, went to their room. I knew something magical happened. Then they come out. And so, um, so it's an example. And I think for my, for my parents sake, um, I think they were doing what they thought was best for us. Um, not having open conflict in front of us, but, um, I didn't know how to handle conflict in my marriage when I first got married. And so, yeah. yeah, And those are the kind of things that you, like you said, they're pleasant memories, but then, uh, having someone 
trained in someone who work, this is what they do, uh, offers really good insight. Um, and so sounds like your therapist and I, I, you know, half more than half of being a good therapist is listening. Yeah. And then I would say a good chunk of it outside of your training is that in a lot of ways, um, it, uh, being an observer of processes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think I mentioned before we got on, um, that my, my specialty are relationships and couples. Um, but in particular infidelity. And so at any given time, half of my, half of my couples are working through some infidelity. And mm-hmm. so I know what recovery looks like from a process standpoint. Yeah. And so it can be very tricky, especially right in the moment or fresh off of discovering, um, observing and letting couples know this is the process you're about to go through. I mean, that's the, that's the advantage of working with someone who does this. So your therapist has probably observed this a lot of times, right? (laughs) Because therapists are also students of behavior. So in therapy too, like I'm like a very, like, if you don't have fruit in this area, are you someone I need to listen to? And again, a lot of that comes from wisdom. Like mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell me how to build a business and you have, haven't have like built a business that's sustainable, like I'm like, eh, no, you don't have fruit in that area. Mm-hmm. Or like your friends that are in terrible relationships all the time that like want to give you advice. And I'm like, you are the last person I want to <laughs> talk to. I found myself <laughs> in therapy. It's hard because I, there wasn't really a space for me to get to know my therapist. Like I almost mm-hmm. wish that we could have like, like that it was like a, an, a, an exchange. Like I wanted to know more about her. Like mm. you're giving me relationship advice, but like, what's your, like, are you taking it? Like, what does your life look like? Has it worked for you? Like those are the, th- I wanted to ask those questions, but I was sure. like, it's not a space for me to do that. Uh, but I actually ended up finding my therapist like after I stopped going regularly. It actually got to the point where my therapist was like, look, you can keep coming every week if you want to, but I've already given you the tools that you need. And so at this point, like, I feel like you're good. Like you could come back when you want to process something. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but I ended up finding her later on, on Instagram and saw that she was engaged. And I feel like not that it shouldn't matter, but it almost like validated a lot of what she told me. Because I was like, oh, you have fruit. Um, So it was like really hard for me to divorce myself from like wanting to know her. Um, That we'll have to talk about that a little more after the break, because from a, you know, a good part of the therapeutic relationship is indeed a relationship. Um, And um, that gets that gets to be kind of blurred and tricky. Like how much do you self-disclose as a therapist? And it varies by therapist now. I am probably more of a self-disclosure kind of therapist than others. Um, and so it's, it's very nuanced. It's a little more art than science, but um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, like kind of ending the therapy. And I want to ask you maybe after the break um, because ending a therapeutic relationship or finishing, so to speak, is also very tricky. Um, and there's some yeah. known things that happen um when the when that working relationship is getting ready to end or termination is happening and so uh we'll talk about some of those phenomenon um uh the biggest one is that all of a sudden all these problems come back that you came to therapy before so let's talk about that when we come back you're listening to paradigm insights into relationships and you 
Uh, today, my guest is Kira Amani Williams, and we're talking about going to therapy. And she's the author of the forthcoming book, Therapy Isn't Just for White People. We'll be right back. You've got mail. You've got mail. Uh, today's listener mail comes from Laura. Laura writes, I've been seeing a therapist for about a year. I think my husband and I need marriage therapy. My husband does not want to go to my ther- therapist because he thinks it would be two against one. Is he being unreasonable? I think my therapist would be perfectly fair for us. What would you tell Laura? I would tell Laura that I completely understand where her husband is coming from. I don't what? even necessarily. Yeah, I do. I don't necessarily oh know that it, it's about like two people being on one side, but I think that there's something special about like co-creating something together or experiencing something for the first time together. And so if he's walking into a situation where she's already comfortable, you know, she's already built trust and he's the only person that's not part of the trust circle. Um, it, there might be a feeling of like not wanting to, you know, indulge the same way. Or like, I think it's the same thing when people get married where it's like, I can move into your spot or you can move into my spot or we can just get a new spot together. I don't know hmm. that like one way is right or one way is wrong. I think it really depends on personality. But because I like being a part of the process, I would want to like pick a therapist together, you know, decide together and start that new chapter together. Wow, you're good. And I thought I could throw you off by. <laughs> so, yeah, Laura, um, I, I agree with Kira and um, it's probably best to find a new therapist together and begin the process together. And I would even go so far as to recommend that you consider suspending your individual therapy during that time. Uh, One of my pet peeves or one of the things that makes therapy difficult, especially with couples, is if everybody has their own therapist. So it's like there are five people in a room. And so um, I've even had extreme examples where individual therapists, and they're, they're working for their client, but they're telling their client to do things that are counter to what's good for the couple. So... I had this example where the boyfriend's therapist was saying, well, if she texts you more than four times an hour, you block her. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, you can't block someone you, you, you say you want to marry. You can't do, I mean, that's Uh, so anyway. So Laura, um, I think uh, your husband's right here. Um, Find a therapist that works for both of you and consider suspending your individual therapist and, um, Hope this, inf- this uh, advice from Kiera and I helps you out. This is Toby Jenkinson. I'm with my fraternity brother, Carrington Walker. We're members of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. The most important thing you can do to make your voice heard is making a plan to vote. Brother Carrington, what should be in this plan? With only eight locations, knowing where, when, and how you're going to vote is critical. For details, go to lexingtonky.gov backslash vote. That's lexingtonky.gov backslash vote. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. And what you heard was a PSA I did that's airing locally in Lexington. And so I know many of my listeners are all over the place. So the most important thing you can do, no matter where you are, is to make a plan to vote. And likely, similar to Lexington, the physical locations to vote are significantly reduced this election than previously. So please work ahead of time 
to figure out where you can exercise your right to vote. Make a plan to get there, and also you should anticipate longer wait times than usual. But please get out and vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but exercise your right to vote. help positively transform schools? Then let me, Joel Cotty, keynote speaker and facilitator of the professional learning, Ignite, hashtag love in schools, put deep passion, purpose, and joy back into your classrooms, hallways, and school events. Share my contact information with a principal or district leader near you. My phone number is 859-967-8510 and find me on Twitter and Facebook at Ignite Love PD. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Today, my guest is Kiara Amani Williams, and we're talking about uh, the therapy process. And so uh, she's the author of a book coming out this spring, Therapy Isn't Just for White People. And so a lot of what we're trying to, what we're doing today is um, demystifying the therapy process. So uh, there, there's not, I don't know, whatever the conceptions are. Um, I know people are very fearful to step foot into a therapy office, especially if you're a person of color because historically that has meant that there's something wrong with you or you are crazy. So, um, you know, you were describing before, before the break that uh, your therapist uh, initiated a conversation around, you know, you've, you've gotten all the tools you need to, to do the things you want to do. Um, now, I recognize that as termination. And so from a therapy standpoint, uh, there's always a point where your client gets to where they uh, want to go um, and the relationship uh, ends, the therapy relationship ends. And so um, that can look like a number of different things. Um, a lot of therapists will recommend like spacing out um, sessions um, and maybe going into more of a maintenance mode. If something comes up, come back in. But for many uh, clients, getting out of therapy can be almost as scary as starting therapy. And so there've been some very interesting studies around uh, suddenly when this termination process starts up, then uh, some of the presenting problems come back, there are reasons. So it could be very difficult to end the relationship. So uh, for you, when your therapist said, Hey, I think you're, you're good here. Did that produce more anxiety or stress for you? Um, no, it's very interesting. So first of all, we kind of had like two endings. Like I was going to therapy for a little bit and then I decided I don't need this anymore. So mm -hmm. I kind of told her like, Hey, like, you know, I'm switching jobs. I have a lot of life change going on. I don't really think I need therapy anymore. It's been great. Thanks for the help. <laughs> that thing goes so well. <laughs> um, you broke so, up with your therapist. And that sucks when people do that. Really good at breaking up with people, which I learned in therapy for better or for worse. <laughs> um, so I felt great about the breakup. That's I was back within a month and a half. I was like, 
I was ready to let go. Um, So the second time we got to the point where she was kind of like, you know, I think we're good. Um, I'm very like achievement oriented. Like I love achieving things. So Mm -hmm. it almost felt like someone was putting like a gold star on my paper. Like I almost (laughs) wanted like an A plus or like a graduating diploma thing. So I could like put it on my fridge. And I was like telling everybody, like my therapist said, I don't need to come back. Like I'm good. Like, it felt so, I'm good, um, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it felt really good to just have somebody else like validate that I was in a good space because I felt like I was in a good space. Um, and she told me to like, you're very self-aware, which I really loved. Um, and I think I'm also a little bit different than other people in that like I was in a lot of ways. I'm a difficult patient. I was like really? psychological like psychologically maybe analyzing my therapist's process like while she was like oh. psychoanalyzing me uh which I'm a, like I like process and knowing process and like how we would start our sessions the type of questions that she would ask um so it was really good because when I did get into moments of being like okay I need to process through something I like had the tools and the process because I'm like all right well, I would do this with Alex and then she would ask me these types of questions and then I would respond. She would ask me an, a why question, a follow-up, and I would respond. Mm-hmm. So I almost kind of learned to be my own therapist after Good. like leaving yeah. therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that like, you know, if I have another bigger life trauma or something specific that I want to process that I wouldn't go back, because I definitely would. Uh, but on a day-to-day level, I felt really like equipped to just like go in the world. So it was a great like mutual breakup. Oh, that's really good. You know, it, it's interesting when you, you know, you bring, <laughs> I use the word breakup. Uh, it's a termination. You know, I guess it's a termination when your therapist initiates it. It's probably a breakup when, uh, when the client <laughs> initiates it. Um, you know, uh, there's some similarities. I was talking to, um, my one of my one of my pastors uh back in nashville and there's some similarities between how relationships end at church and in therapy and so it was funny because uh our church in nashville when we moved we came back for a visit and it was we were recognized like hey toby and nicole are back and my pastor said you know most people don't leave the church like this (laughs) they're usually mad or pissed off And so from a therapy standpoint, um, and this is kind of giving you perspective from the other side, is that um, I'd probably say at least half the clients you see, you don't know what happens to them because a lot of people Mm -hmm. just drop out. Uh, They just stop coming, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. At any given time, there's probably someone who came to see me sitting in front of somebody else saying, yeah, that Toby was horrible. Um, He didn't help me (laughs) at all, right? Um, and so, um, it's nice when you get to see, uh, the person grow and find out what happens after, but I would say for most therapists, it's, it's not a large percentage of their clients and people just kind of drop out and disappear. Kind of like what you said earlier, um, you gave your therapist, um, a call. A lot of people just don't call. They just stop coming. Um, but the, the termination process can be. Uh, very anxiety producing because now you've got to take these tools you've learned in therapy and and implement them. And so um, it's, um, and then there's also kind of the relationship part. So did you, you sound, you went weekly to your therapist for a while? Um, It depended on like the month, like sometimes it was weekly. Sometimes it was like every other week. 
towards the end it was more spaced out so like every three weeks or once a okay. month um so yeah it was good yeah and uh, did you miss her um i don't know if, if miss is the right word like i don't there aren't a lot of people that i miss like i moved around a lot when i was little so mm. i have like really good and like i feel like we can like love each other from a distance <laughs> about her like I'm like oh I wonder what Alex is doing and I think also because I'm like generally like the helper in my relationships like I'm the strong friend I'm the one everybody turns to even Mm. though I knew like paying for her for sessions and it was about me there's like always a piece of me that I want to be like well if you want someone to like process with like I'm here like you can talk to me (laughs) (laughs) like not doing that with her was like hard Uh, but I do think about sometimes Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, the, the nature of the therapeutic relationship is, you know, the emphasis, is it's a relationship. And, you know, from my side of the table or the couch or the table, um, I do get attached to, to clients. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of hard not to because sharing, uh, sharing so much of someone's life and seeing them improve or, you know, sharing pain with them is a very bonding experience. And so um, it, it is a gray line. I mean, there, there are people that I've seen that I don't see anymore. And I was like, man, I kind of miss seeing them every week uh, or, but um, so, yeah, so it's a very, I mean, so when you have a good therapist, I, you know, that bond part, we, we, it's, it's the bond, that bond part is, is really important. And, and actually, I just for myself, I had to like, not let it get too serious because again like I said she was psychoanalyzing me but because I knew that she was doing that I was psychoanalyzing her <laughs> like a little thing like I, I remember going into her office one time I don't remember what my hairstyle was but she commented when I walked in oh I like your hairstyle and I was like thanks now a normal non over analytical <laughs> person would accept that as a compliment like oh Alex likes my hair but for me I was like I think my hair was straight before. Now it's braided. Is she trying mm. to like tell me that she wants me to wear like more black style? Is she saying that I have a problem with like my blackness? And like now she's trying to affirm me so that I continue to do it. Or like I was, oh, ma- wow. I was making everything so deep. Um, like, yeah. what is your outcome? Why did you say that? And just, and maybe any of those things could have been true. Maybe none of them were true, but that yeah. wasn't the point, like the session. <laughs> um, so it was like, it was that hard for me funny. not to like, analyze back. Yeah, you, you know, I, I would say uh, I, from a therapy standpoint, I would not find that difficult to work with. Um, I've the most difficult clients for me to work with are people that have some training or they are uh, therapists or in the mental health field themselves because mm-hmm. they kind of they they this is the advantage. To, so there are certain tools I have at my disposal. And if you don't know they're coming, <laughs> then they work a lot better than you say, oh, that's a CBT question. And then it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the person will say, I don't, I don't like CBT. And I'm like, well, well crap. Well, <laughs> um, so my most difficult clients are those that um, are either have some training or I occasionally get um, clients who are what I would call um, um, uh, consumers of therapy. And so I occasionally get clients who come in and say, I want this kind of therapy for this many weeks. And so um, now I'm fortunate that I'm in a private practice setting. And so 
I can kind of tell if it's not going to work or maybe I'm not the right fit. And so, um, so yeah, those are, those are the most difficult, um, because, um, now the training you get is, and like I said earlier, a lot of it's about listening, uh, understanding input, repeating back and empathizing and maybe offering a new viewpoint. Um, but if the person knows it's coming, um, it's harder. You get more resistance. And so now I have some other tricks up my sleeve when there's resistance. Um, um, and usually we talk about the resistance, like, hey, uh, who, who's, who's controlling the therapy <laughs> here yeah. kind of a thing. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, uh, this concludes part one of my interview with Kiera Amani Williams. She's the co-creator of the Auditory Museum, a special workshop that helps people tell their stories. She's the host of the podcast Sworn Testimonies and co-creator of Like You Cards, a deck of cards that help people uh, have meaningful conversations and get to know each other. Uh, stay tuned for part two, and we'll see you next week. Show.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm. Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again.